Hey, what's up, my people? I hope you're well. Welcome to the show. I'm at Mountain Air Studios here in Draper, Utah, and I have Ryan Hale on the button six feet away. It's good to be recording again, and we have a special show ahead. But before I go any further, a big shout out to all the new subscribers and followers on social media. Welcome aboard. But if you're one of those that still hasn't followed suit yet, the handle is kickback underscore Nadum, and we are on Instagram and on Twitter. So go on. What's the worst that could happen? But anyway, to today's guest. He's played for some of the biggest teams in world football and has managed over 600 games at the highest level. So please sit back and I hope you enjoy my conversation with the English Football Hall of Fame inductee, Mark Hughes, OBE. Well, I'm about to call an ex-manager. This is going to be a test. But I am ready for it. Hopefully answers. <laughs> ah, hello, sir. Hi, young man. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Is that a snooker table in the back? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, doesn't get much play on it these days, I have to say. But, yeah, uh, definitely looks the yeah. part. Definitely looks. It the looks part. okay. Yeah, it's it's very green. <laughs> yeah. So, firstly, how are you? I'm okay. Yeah, very good. Um, Twiddling my thumbs a little bit. I expected to be back in, if I'm honest, by yeah. now. But uh, obviously, COVID's going in the way of everything yeah, uh, this year. But uh, yeah, I'm okay. okay I'm, yeah. A, I'm in the middle of a house move. So uh, ah, okay. you can't see the boxes, but uh, they're everywhere. Okay. So uh, okay. that's keeping me busy at the moment. And where exactly are you moving to? About two miles down the road. Ah. Totally. So <laughs> not too far. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's not too bad at all. So. Yeah. For me, this is a this is a big interview because you're the first non-player that I'm speaking to. Yeah, I think All you're right. number sixty. And okay. listen, if I sound a bit nervous, it's because I'm speaking to one of my old bosses. So please let me off. But I'm gonna try and be I'm gonna try and be good. You yeah? go for it, man. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, firstly, my generation they know you mostly as a manager, but yeah, but we do kind of know you as a player as well. But when I went into your Wikipedia, your career was absolutely outrageous. And like, even though it's not today's main topic, I just need to, I need to give it a mention for a second. So there's two Premier League titles, four FA Cups, three League mm-hmm. Cups, two European Cup Winners' Cups, four-time PFA um, Team of the Year, and two-time PFA uh, Player of the Season. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's just a pretty quiet career then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate. It was... I was able to play with good teams, which always helps and always yeah. gives you an option to... Safe uh, answers, safe answers from the get-go, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I know, but uh, especially towards the end of my career, you, you had to surround yourself with uh, with good players because they make you look good. So uh, so I was able to play until, I think I was 30, 30 nearly 39. And I think you've retired now. How, That's right, way, yeah. How are, you, how are you finding it? <laughs> well, it's been nice, to be fair. It's been nice. Having yeah. three kids is good having the time, but... I think this show and listening to you today will make me decide whether or not I want to try and pursue a career in management and coaching. Right. But okay. I won't tell you, I won't tell you my answer towards the end. Yeah, I won't, get, won't tell you my answer towards the end. But anyway, no. all, your career led to you being inducted into the English Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. That's not too bad. That's not too bad, really, is it? No. So you had no, a good career. I, was, I had a great career. I enjoyed every minute of it, I have to admit. I was... Uh, 
I was fortunate. I was I was I was at United from from an early age. I think I signed when I was uh, just fourteen because that's that's the age that you you're only allowed to sign. I mean, these days it's young kids are signing seven, eight years of age, and mm-hmm. my view is a little bit too young, if I'm honest. But yeah. uh, I, I signed when I was fourteen. I used to travel from Little Village in in Wales every Friday, play play for the the B team at United at the Cliff. And uh, I was trying to find my way, and um, I got offered an apprenticeship. There was only six of us. Um, it's like these days, uh, there seems to be uh, so many teams to fill. A lot of guys, a lot of young players, again, picked up. And, and unfortunately, they were, in the end, they will get disappointed because mm-hmm. um, the, the pathway for them is, is too crowded, in my view. But uh, in my day, there were six of us, and... Um, we were trying to get in the first team, and uh, uh, I have to say, I was a midfield player then, mm-hmm. and I know I ended up towards uh, the midfield positions when I got to the latter stages of my career. But uh, um, I was in midfield; I wasn't doing particularly well, if I'm honest. And uh, I think, as a last resort, uh, Sid Owen, who was my youth team manager, decided we were playing a Norwegian team. Actually, uh, they'd come over on tour, and uh, um, I couldn't get in in a midfield position, so. Uh, as a last resort, like I said, they chucked me up front and I scored three goals and uh, I ended up staying there for the next 20 odd years. So uh, <laughs> okay. I thank Sid for that, that decision. You know, it's funny, when I was in my academy, I was a defender. Then they put me up front for the first game there, scored five goals, but then I finished the rest of my career in defence. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot better being a forward, Nedum. You know that. You make oh. a mistake, everybody. Us forwards can score a goal, play hopeless, Essen. but they only remember the goal. So. For the last 10, 15 years, I've been campaigning to say strikers make as many mistakes as defenders and they cost goals. If you miss a big chance, it's, for me, it's the same as us giving away a goal at the back. These goals change it games. Be, it should be, but it never has been, no, does it? Of course not, of course not. <laughs> we get away with murder as strikers. Oh, I'm glad you said it. But anyway... If you were 20 years younger, we'd be talking more about your career. But unfortunately, you're 20 years older. You don't look too bad for, was it 57? 57, just, yeah. You don't look too yeah, bad for 57. And Cheers, I that. Not too bad. I didn't say you look great. I said not too bad. But anyway, <laughs> why then, while you were still playing, did you enter the world of management? Is this something that you just want, always wanted to do or did it just happen by accident? Um, no, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't planned. Um, I was I was at United for a long time, obviously, and uh, I went there as a kid, as 14, and, and I left when I was 31, uh, in between a couple of spells abroad. But I've uh, uh, been there a long time. Uh, went to Chelsea. Um, and it was only when I went to Chelsea and some of the younger lads there, the likes of uh, uh, Jody Morris, who was there, and uh, Michael Dubry, mm-hmm. uh, they were young kids coming, coming through the ranks. And... Uh, um, I sensed that yeah, United, there was a lot of big voices in the dressing room and uh, I used to hold my counsel a little bit so, because <laughs> there was always somebody a bit louder and brasher than me that would come up with what I was going to say anyway. So uh-huh. uh, um, so my voice in the dressing room doesn't, didn't, I feel, resonate as much as it did when I went to Chelsea because I was conscious of the fact that there were young lads coming through and whenever I did speak in the dressing room to, to make a point, then I was conscious that they... They were listening, and uh, I actually enjoyed that part of it. And that's when I started to do all my coaching badges and and work me through my way through it, and and just getting that insight into 
to what coaching is about and uh, how you can uh, shape teams and shape individuals. That uh, is a whole new, whole new discipline. They're completely different from from being a player, and mm-hmm. uh, you, you have to have, have a lot more assets and, and sides to to you as a person, and uh, you have to get more organised. If I'm honest, that is the key one. If you're not organised, you haven't got a chance. Yeah, for sure. So, why do you think then that uh, the Welsh FA picked you to be in charge of the team? Well, I think I think it was cheap because okay. I was so playing. I, I so love I the honesty. I love the honesty from the get go. Yeah, <laughs> because I I didn't I didn't ask for a great deal of money because as I was still at Southampton, I think when when I initially got it. So I was on decent money and I wanted to do it because um, I was really really proud to to be approached to do it. So the circumstances where we we actually were, were managed the, the Welsh national team at the time by Bobby Gould and we had a double header and we played Italy on the Saturday and we had Denmark on the Wednesday following and uh, we went up against a very good Italian side and got beat 4-0 mm-hmm. and uh, Bobby in his wisdom decided that he was going to leave he, he said it was that was his last game and uh, he recommended myself and, and Big Neville Southall our goalkeeper and uh, we had some, we had two days to prepare. Never had any inkling before the game that that's how Bobby Gould was thinking. So it dropped on our toes. So um, we had a couple of days to try and organise the team and try and get a result. Uh, as it happens, I, I actually played in the game. Uh, Neville oh, you picked yourself, with, yeah. Okay. Well, no, I, I say Neville picked me. It, <laughs> okay. It's, uh, he wanted to be a manager on the on the sidelines. He, it was the first time I'd seen Neville in a suit. Right. He, he turned up in this uh, big black suit with a black shirt and and a black tie, and uh, that was the first time I ever seen him that smart. But uh, unfortunately, we we didn't win the game. But um, after that, after the Denmark game, um, about two three weeks later, they were inviting interviews and I was seen in the press. I was actually on holiday and I was hearing that uh, if you would put their names in into the hat for, for the job and uh, I rang from from where was I? Cyprus I think I was at the time and um, I said well don't don't forget me I'll, I'll come for an interview as well. So I turned up it was actually in Stratford-upon-Avon I think of, of all places why they had it there I have no idea <laughs> but uh yeah, I did the interview. Um, as I said, a few things they liked, and as I said earlier, I was cheap, so uh, they gave me the job for two games. So they they weren't that convinced about my interviewing, <laughs> but uh, I got two games. I won the first one and got beat in the second, but uh, they must have seen enough because uh, I got the job for the next four years after that. Yeah. So, what were your personal expectations then, as a coach slash manager, seeing as you know for your own playing career? Essentially, it was exceptional. Did you believe it was just going to be the same sort of mentality going forward or not? Well, what, what I found, I, I was really pleased that um, I got there. Looking back on, on my career as a manager, the, the key for me to, to progress was the fact that I was the national team manager in my first job because that gave me the ability or the opportunity to experience everything that management entails in a very short period of time, four or five days, everybody would come into camp, we'd try and get everybody organised, you had four or five days to do it, all of a sudden you play the game, everybody goes away for a month, and then you sit in a darkened room and think, 
good God, I've got to be better than I was last, okay. on, on that occasion. Next time I'll be a hell of a lot better than that. So yeah. it gave me that breathing space to be able to understand what I wanted from the game or how I wanted my teams to play in terms of philosophy and whatever. And it gave me that, that breathing space of four years to really understand how I wanted to manage. And uh, I'll always be grateful for that because uh, if I think that's why sometimes players that go from playing as I did, going from playing straight into management, that's sometimes why they they fail because they haven't had that opportunity or that, that breathing space in between games just to, to get better at, at their subject. And uh, I was grateful, always grateful for that opportunity. And do you think that managing a national side is the peak that you can achieve as a manager or do you think it's more club club related? Um, well, for me as a proud Welshman, I mean, I was absolutely... All over the moon when I got the job, and we had some great times. We had, we came very close to qualifying for major championships, which at that point we we'd never been yeah. able to do that. But uh, we missed out on the final of the of the European Championship just just by a knockout game. I got beat over two legs in the playoff it was against Russia. Russia. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so that was a huge disappointment. But we had some fantastic games. We we played everybody. I I like to. Uh, go up against all the big teams we played Brazil we played Germany we played Argentina we, we got everybody over to uh, to play them and obviously to try and film fill the Millennium Stadium as well I mean we were against 70,000 crowds it was it was great times and uh, we had some great results beat Italy in one game that's remembered to this day so we had good times I had good times and it allowed me just to grow as a manager yeah I, I remember those times for Wales actually because with all due respect it was a struggling nation around that sort of time yeah. it really really yeah. was so what do you think uh, obviously I would say that your time there was successful even though you didn't qualify for the Euros it seems like a very <laughs> significant time looking back now and seeing what the national side is is now if you know what I mean like that was a felt like yeah. a first step so what do you think the difference was in terms of trying to f make the team more successful in that moment where success well, wasn't there? Yeah, well, well, I always felt as a Welsh international, I was I was playing at top clubs. I was going from Man United and I was turning up at International Week. I, I was used to a certain level of, of preparation and uh, facilities for one of the better would for, for many factors that weren't in place in, uh, at that time in Welsh football. Uh, we didn't have a training ground. We used to have to fly around converted rugby pitches and putting temporary goals up and people wouldn't believe it. We, we, our, kit, our kit was uh, chucked in the middle of the room. We'd have to scramble for, for the best pieces. I'm thinking, this is okay. I don't mind this as a change, but it's not how it should be. So when I... When I became manager, I was looking for quick wins. So uh, the one thing I really felt was really important was that we needed to get training facilities right and we needed to look like a team, even if we, mm -hmm. at times, we didn't play as well as we should have done. At least we'd need to look like an international team. So I, I improved the, the equipment, um, the kit, uh, the way we travelled, how we how we dressed, uh, suits to travel, ties, which you probably remember. Oh, I was quite strong. Oh which you used to be nuts, oh. probably. <laughs> it was just my thing. That so, uh, you, I just felt that it was important for the Welsh boys because we we had so many. We we had top players, obviously, uh, but we had other guys that were playing at a lower level, and I thought it was important that we carried ourselves in a certain way. And uh, and I think dressing all the same helped that 
that connection to, to the lives I playing at different levels, you know? Yeah, it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about that time, but then also having had you as a manager in two places to see the same things still existed. And I think as far as, you know, people could say about whether they played, didn't play, whether the team did well or whatever, like the legacy that you've left at those clubs, there's like, say at QPR, there's a training ground there, which wasn't what it was like beforehand. So people have the opportunity to be able to develop as a professional. Even mm. at City at the time when you came in as well, we changed the training ground. Like it's not the new one that's um, near the stadium now, but that changed. So the yeah. legacy the legacy is there and people did mm. feel they were in a more professional environment. As a consequence, yeah. you ended up being mm. having the opportunity to play as such instead of, you know, essentially not really taking it too seriously, if you know what I mean. But yeah. with the four years anyway that you... Um, that you had for the national team. Why did you then decide to step into club football? I think um, after four years, I was ready. I felt uh, within myself and in terms of, of where I wanted to go. Um, Blackburn was a great opportunity as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'd been there as a player. I had a good time. I actually played my last 90 minutes for Blackburn in, in the League Cup final. Uh, against Tottenham at the Millennium Stadium, so that was yeah. a great memory for me. So I, I had an emotional connection to to the club, some good people there as well. So the opportunity presented itself, and I just felt it was the right club at the right time for me. Um, uh, I made a slight mistake, I feel, with hindsight, because uh, I made we had a couple of games left in a qualifying uh, period, and uh, um, I made myself available. I said, well, I won't leave until we've completed the two games with hindsight I probably should have just left and, and they could have just got on with it because um, I didn't enjoy the, the fact that I was leaving because it was it wasn't as clean as it, as it needed to be but that's with hindsight yeah, so, uh, sure, yeah. uh, so, I, so I went to Blackburn and had four great years there and really enjoyed my time good people uh, people who who understood because if you think back um, only Four or five years previous, they've been champions yeah. of the Premier League. So, what we've just been talking about about facilities and and the the way we we acted that was all in place when I went there because Jack Walker obviously had thrown a lot of money, spent a lot of money on the training ground, best training ground at the time in my view mm -hmm. uh, was Blackburn Rovers. So, so I had the benefit of that. So I didn't really had to dilute my energies by trying to fix football pitches and yeah, uh, yeah. training grounds, I could just concentrate on the team. And I think that uh, looking back in other clubs, I, I probably uh, uh, was affected by the fact I'm concentrated sometimes and got dragged away from the important thing, which is preparing the team and and making sure the players are okay. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm with you there in the fact that I think infrastructure at a football club is massive because yeah. then, you know, as a player, when you walk through the door, the identity of the club, is set in stone. You know what the standards are from the very, very beginning and you have to match them or you will get moved on, you know? Yeah, of... I agree. I think it's really important that, that uh, the level of facilities, it's, it's a place of work and as soon yeah. as you walk through the door, you, you have to understand that and and you go in and, and your mentality changes from, from being a guy that's travelling from work but as soon as you get there, that, that environment has to motivate you to to be the best you can be on that 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 day, and 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 to work to the best of your ability. And sometimes, if a train ground or the pitches are poor, then that can demotivate players. And, yeah. Uh, as you know, it's it's not easy when uh, players are 
kicking the heels and, and <laughs> with everything because planes will always yeah. always multitude as you well know yeah of course of course so how do you then make the adjustment from seeing players once a month to seeing them basically every single day was that an easy adjustment for you or did you find it quite hard at the start um no as i said i think after four years i understood what i was going into and uh, um actually towards the end of my international career as a manager when there was always that period immediately after games where if it hadn't gone quite as well as you wanted then obviously there was no chance to have a debrief so I'd get frustrated after games because the game would finish everybody would shoot off and and it was very difficult to to really communicate what needed to be communicated immediately after games so obviously once I went into club football that was addressed and I thought it was a a lot easier in terms of that and understanding that you know, you had a set group of players as well that you could work with sometimes the, the Welsh squad and and the, the variability of of players being available was was a frustration as well at least I knew for the most part that I'd have a group of players that I could could work with uh, conscientiously and uh, on a regular basis okay well anyway the time's come now I'm actually an ex-professional there's certain questions which I've always want, wanted to ask a coach and manager and stuff, but I've never been able to because, you know, oh, I need to do this, I have to be professional, I have to do this, that and the other. So please, please, please indulge myself and, some, and the listeners with some of these questions, yeah? As no honestly problem. as you can, don't throw yourself yeah, under the bus, but please entertain <laughs> people. So firstly, yeah, I always thought to myself, as a coach, when you're walking into a new club as the new, the head person in charge, like, how do you feel? Do you feel like nerves? Do you feel excitement? Do you feel the pressure? You know, like what what is that feeling like coming into a new building and being the new face, but the one who has all the control? Uh, for me personally, it was always excitement. Uh, I was always really keen to to get on with the, the job in hand and and get get down to business, get in there and understand what the problem was. Because invariably, when you go get a job, it's usually as a consequence yeah. of someone struggling prior to you getting there. So uh, you need to get in there and just try and very, very quickly understand what, what needs to be addressed and what you can do to affect the performances on the pitch. So uh, the actual walking in the room on the first day is always a little bit traumatic. Um, <laughs> it's, it's never easy. For, for me, I've done it for, for donkey's years, but it's still difficult for me because my personal, personality isn't that extrovert. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm more inclined to introversion. So for me, every time I stand in front of a group of 25 hairy backside <laughs> football players, it's it's a challenge <laughs> to me. But, but but as a consequence of that, it's, it's challenging me and it's making me be a better person and a better coach because you have to force yourself to do it. So uh, um, it's not easy. I'd, uh, I'd recommend it if you, if you fancy doing it in Adam, I think. No, yeah. no, let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> I think it's, it's a great it's a great thing where when you actually go through it and, and you've got your point over and you see a reaction on the pitch as well and you see that yeah. you've affected a player's thinking in terms of what he's got ahead of him when he's going into a match. So, it was all stimulating from that point of view. And did you feel more pressure when you walked into a place, say, like QPR, where the aim is staying up, or more pressure in a place like City, where the aim is to aim higher? Um, a good question. Um, different circumstances, obviously. Um, C- City was was a difficult situation. You, you 
live through it like yeah. like I did. And uh, when all the money came through the door, Sheikh Mansour invested in the club. Listen, it changed overnight. It yeah. was uh, well, I was obviously appointed by Shina Watcher and uh, um, the goalposts had been moved somewhat when, <laughs> when I got yeah. through the door because the. There was no money, I was told. There was plenty of money and we're going to buy loads of players. Uh, the reality was that there wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I think all these assets had been frozen. Uh, so there was no money for coming. I, I had to sell players, the likes of Carl Luker, yeah. uh, one example. We were to sell Carl Luker to Tottenham because we needed money. Uh, we ended up with Zabaleta, which wasn't a bad, yeah. bad swap. I yeah. saved for half the price. So that was one of my better deals. But yeah. uh, it was difficult times. But, uh, but City changed completely and uh, it was a really interesting period for me as well just just watching how people deal with change mm-hmm. um, some deal with it okay other, others find it really difficult and uh, and other people see it as an opportunity to scramble and, and get a get a high position within the club as well so uh, yeah interesting times at City okay so as a player maybe not you but lots of players who you've probably coached have a perceived ceiling of where they can get to in their careers. You know, you know what your strengths are, you know what limitations are and so on and so forth. But is that the same as a coach or do you always see yourself as being able to manage anywhere? I, I, I think it's, as a coach, you've got to aim as high as you possibly can. You're always striving to, to get to the next level. That was always my, my, uh, my thinking on it. Um, you're always shaped and people's perception of you as a coach or, or, or as a manager will always be shaped by, by results. That yeah. never changes. So uh, um, you, if you're having to run a bad result, so the, the reality is is that actually you're probably doing as good a job as you can under the circumstances. Mm-hmm. But the, the perception is is that you're not very good and, and you're having a nightmare and things are going wrong because the manager's poor and, and all this. And the reality is probably you're managing other things that people aren't aware of that you can't can't share with people because if you did, then you'd be stuck on the spot, if, mm-hmm. if we're honest. But yeah. uh, so, so the management really is, is about managing downwards and, and managing the players and the, and the staff, but it's, it's managing your whole group uh, and one of the most important ways to manage is obviously is upwards. If you don't manage upwards yeah. uh, correctly or, or very well, at some point then that will come back and uh, and hurt you, unfortunately. So as a coach slash manager again, do people ever believe that someone else who's having more success is better than they are or do they just believe that they're in a better environment? Um, th- there's... Yeah, I think most most coaches have grudging respect for for people who do well, <laughs> but really deep down, they, they prefer if it was themselves getting that success at that time. But uh, um, I think everybody is pleased when when maybe you look at the situation and you, you have a perception of a situation in the club, and you think, well, actually, that, that guy's done a really good job because uh, I know that club or I. I've, have an, an understanding maybe of the, of the group of players that they've got and the problems that the, the coach or the manager has had and he's been able to get get a tune out of that group of players which sometimes you, you have to say yeah well done because that's that's a difficult situation that he's gone in and, and addressed um, it's about obviously being able to maintain that it's sometimes that, that new manager bounce you go in you 
you affect the team initially, you get four or five good results, then all of a sudden it's back to the old days. So it's, it's about being strong enough to be able to maintain the level that you want and the level that maybe you're able to instill initially. But the key is to keep those results, those mm-hmm. positive results coming. Okay, so throughout all your years of management, what would you say the biggest factors to, factors to success have been? Because one thing which I've seen myself is, I don't know if it's still the case anymore, but consistency, for example, within your uh, staff, it's a very it's a varied staff. You know, as as a player, it's always helped to be able to go and speak to somebody. You know what I mean, or to be able to get along with somebody, but not to the point where you're pally pally, but to the point where there's like a respect as a player, so you're not distanced from the coaching staff and stuff. But what would you say, as I say, the biggest things are in terms of trying to bring success as a manager? What matters the most? I think um, I think there needs to be a, be trust between you and the players that they trust you that you're making the right decisions to enable them to be successful. And the reverse of that is is that the, you have to trust the players, obviously, to do the job, which is win football matches to enable everybody to be successful and, and the club to prosper. So mm-hmm. trust is a big thing. Um, it's been good at some clubs I've been involved in, less so at other clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but that it's sometimes it's the circumstances that you, you find in a in a football club, and that to build that trust takes time, and sometimes you're not given that time to to get that right level of trust that you need right through through the club as a whole. And um, I think that's an important thing. Um, but clearly, you've got to be able to get your message over and, and start winning football matches as quickly as possible. You do that, then that buys you the time that you need. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think one point for me that I'd like to make here in terms of coaches that I've had, I like it when a coach comes in with their own philosophy, but the philosophy doesn't change. Whether it works or it doesn't work, they're consistent with that. Because I feel that if you just end up being a chameleon, all the same problems will arise. But I think sometimes, like, I, I, you know, to my own detriment, say, for example, the man that succeeded you at City, Mancini, he came in and he was very set in his ways about certain things. Mm-hmm. And he, and when I say set, I mean, like, immovable objects set in his ways about certain things. And it didn't suit everybody. But he said, this is where we're going to be at. And if he doesn't believe that somebody is in line with this, then you move on. And I was one of the people that ended up moving on for whatever reason, but he was consistent with it and he found success with it. And it means that wherever he goes from that point, he can say, this is my product. But I think for some managers, if they try and do everything, then why would they ever be hired? You know, if a club wants, mm. a, if a club wants a certain type of football, this is your coach. If you want a certain type of, you know, motivation for players, this is your manager. I, I, I prefer those managers. And it's not always a guarantee of success. <laughs> But at least you know what. No, to no, expect. no. I get your point there, Tom. I think it's a good point. I think it's horses for courses. I mean, any given circumstances that a club finds themselves in, they need, they might need a firefighter. They might need somebody to motivate. You. There's different managers for different circumstances. So, so I agree with that. Yeah. I think sometimes, I, in terms of being rigid in, in your thinking, I think you still got to be able to have that flexibility tactically when the game's yeah. actually in process. You've got to understand what's actually happening mm-hmm. within that 90 minutes of football uh, to be able to be tactically flexible. But if you've got your values and, and the the areas of the game that you won't sway on and you're strong with that, then at least everybody knows where they stand yeah. and you know the boundaries. And I, and I think, um, I know myself, I, I enjoyed 
knowing where where the the lines were between where I could stray and, and where I couldn't as a player myself. I, I, I think I'm like you in that regard. So, um, yeah, it's it's horses for courses now. I think it's circumstances will, will be different. If you're at a top club, yeah, yeah the, the pressure is to win football matches and win trophies. Yeah. Whereas at the other end, it's a different thing. Okay, so when you were making your transition then from player to manager, how did you actually decide on what your style was going to be? Was it based on past experiences with different coaches or is it based on you understanding the workforce as you were actually stepping away from it? Uh, for me, it was about understanding the group that I had to work with. Yeah. Um, it's it no good having a wide, expansive game if I didn't have the place to, to play that mm-hmm. or having an aggressive team if I had a, a team of... Yeah. Five or six tricky midfield players, you know. I mean, it's it's you've got to use your sense and, and your understanding of the game itself. And um, whenever I went in, I, I tried to look. Obviously, I had certain fundamentals that, that I always took to every club in terms of I wanted to be a dynamic team. I wanted to be high high tempo. I wanted to, us to to dictate to the. the and where did that come from? Where did those ideas come from? I think that was more from a, from my playing point of view because okay. I was that type of player. I, I wanted to be bigger, stronger, not necessarily faster. You, yeah. you could be faster. I couldn't be faster. I could just <laughs> try to intimidate in different ways. But yeah, uh, um, yeah so, so certain things from, from my own time as a player, but just through understanding the game a lot more as I got in my, my latter stages of my career as a player, mm-hmm. I think... He, you probably found it as well, but you became more interested in the tactical side of yeah. why the manager was yeah. picking a certain player for a certain team or mm-hmm. whatever. And I think that comes as you get older and, and your career, career progresses. And uh, that certainly happened to me. And I just, I think I just always looked at what I had to work with and, and if I had the opportunity to bring somebody who was, who was better than what I had, then it was a very simple philosophy. I, I used to think that would work. So, Okay. So which manager then got the best out of you and why? Um, well, the obvious one is Sir Alex, just because we had so much success uh, together as, as a manager and a player. And um, But he was never a coach in terms of... He, he, I don't remember, if I'm honest, ever sitting down with Sir Alex and... And talking to him about football and yeah. and discussing the game, discussing tactics. I don't think I ever had that conversation with him. Mm-hmm. But what 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 he did and what he was around the club was was just a presence, and yeah. he had such high standards in terms of what he expected from a, a Manchester United player that he knew if if you went away from those standards, then you wouldn't play. Yeah. And the worst thing for me as a player was not playing. Yeah. Um, I was I was the worst person in the world if I wasn't playing. <laughs> so so I did everything to my ability to make sure I stayed in the team. And all I wanted from my manager, uh, who was Sir Alex for the most part, was was I wanted to play. Yeah. And he played me. I was happy. I didn't need to discuss what the game was like or how well I played or how badly I played. As long as he picked me, I, I was happy. Uh-huh. So do you think you'd have been a good manager for yourself because I've heard rumours everywhere that we've been together that said you were a terrible trainer. So would you have been a good <laughs> manager for yourself? No, I wouldn't have drawn. No, I've actually got a cup that was presented to me by uh, 
Well, Graham Souness won it when he was manager of Blackburn, and it's for the worst trainer. <laughs> I should get there and show you actually the worst or the out, most outrageous performances during the season in training, apparently. So, um, but my my argument always was that. Well, I was hopeless Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but Thursday, Friday, and come Saturday, I was brilliant. So, uh, <laughs> okay. so that's why I used to get away with it. But imagine a player saying that to you now when you're back in work. Would that be acceptable? <laughs> well, I'd like him to go on with, with that answer. Not too many did, but uh, no, I, I always, it was, when I was a manager of the case, I would do as I say, not as I, I used to do. Right, maybe. okay. So, yeah, I, I would have been a player that probably... Uh, Irritated managers, if I'm if I'm honest, but uh, um, I was always all about the ninety minutes of the weekend. Training was okay, and it was a means to an end. But uh, um, yeah, I'm a lot more strict as a manager than I ever was as a player, if I'm honest. Okay, as a manager, then would you rather be liked or respected and feared? Um. Because the reason I, the reason I, I ask that question in such a way is because you see groups of players who do well when they're motivated because they like somebody and some people who do really well because, as you say, with Sir Alex, he's got the highest standard. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you fear the wrath of not doing it. So which one would you rather be? Uh, for me, I, I just needed to respect the manager. I didn't need to like him. I didn't need to have a relationship with him. I, I just needed to, to respect what he was and, and what he was giving me as a player in terms of direction and and the opportunity to play. Um, I think the modern day manager, or a lot of managers that the, the, the clubs of this world seem to want to be friends and players seem to, to like that, yeah. um, which is fine when you're winning. I'm not yeah. sure how it works when maybe you're at the other end of the table. Maybe he's not, he's not experienced that. But I think that's just his personality, his natural demeanour. Mm-hmm. I think the key is not to try and be anything that you're not. Just be honest. Um, your personality is what you've got, and uh, you've just got to you've got to project that to to the guys you're working with. And uh, if you try and be something that you're not, then very quickly players will always sniff that out, and you won't last very long. Yeah, you're good. You keep dancing around the question. I like it. I like this a lot. <laughs> so, so yeah. ideally, you'd want both of these. But would you rather have a team of talented individuals or a team of hard workers? Uh whoo. Good question. Oh, thank you. That means that means yeah, the most coming from you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think you've got to have, you've got to have talent. I think talent is everything. But um, hard work. I mean, there's all added hard work beats talent every time. Yeah. But, um, I'm not too sure about that. You need to, you need that sprinkling of stardust that enables the the hard work to prosper as well. You, so, I'm. I'm okay with talent and hard work combined. Uh, I like I like both of those it's things. Obviously. I actually like Mavericks as well. I mean, I've had enough okay. in my career, like plenty. And sometimes they take more managing, and I think that's that's actually stimulating from from your own point of view as a manager and a coach that you need to get a tune out of these players because they can win you games. Mm-hmm. Because if they do turn around, they've got that level of ability that uh, enables them to just go to a different level. So. Uh, Skill, hard yeah. work, it's a combination there. Not one, yeah. one or the other exclusively. Can we just talk about the saying for a second? So the saying is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Is that right? That's, that's so, the one I was thinking of. Okay, yeah. so with that then, people are saying that if talent works hard, you've got no chance. Is that basically what they're saying? 
I think that's probably it. Yeah. Okay. Um, if I think it's if you work as hard as the hard workers, I think that's the key to it. Oh, so, wow. Uh, well, one thing. One thing I'll say about you say the last uh, period when you were at City and then when it crossed over to Mancini and they won the league and so on. Mm-hmm. I felt so lucky to be around some of those players who were incredible players, but they were incredibly hardworking as well. And yeah. from when I saw that and everywhere else that went from that point, I was judging myself and other people based on how, how hard those players who were better than me worked. <laughs> so when I see somebody that isn't as good as them, not working as hard as them, but believe they're yeah. as good as them, I'd always be right. like, like, what? what's the point? Like, why are you yeah. bothering? But No, I know what you're saying. I think there's a reason that they are top players, in my view, is because they do have them standards. And yeah. that's the reason they're a top player, because they, they, they can combine that natural and, and nurtured ability that they have, but they still have to work hard for a team. They understand that. 100%. And that's, that's the difference. There's a lot of players that think they're great players. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, as I can say, I, was, I think I was very lucky to have seen that transition because then when I was yeah. turning up at places and someone said, this player's a great player, I'd be like, eh... Yeah, So as a manager again, would you rather be a front runner or like an underdog going to a game on a game to game basis? Um, I actually, I think we talked about expectation. I, I was always okay with expectation. I think some managers like to, uh, I know they do, uh, they like to underplay the chances of the team knowing full well that they'll overachieve yeah. and then obviously they'll, they'll get parts as a consequence. I, I was always Certainly, I was felt fans didn't want to hear that. Well, we're not bothered about the FA Cup. We're just concentrating on staying in the league because that's we we have to do that, and mm. we'll be lucky to do it. But that's what we'll try and do. Uh, I always thought, well, that's not what fans want to hear. They they want to hear that we're going to be positive. We're going to try in every game. We're going to try and if we're still in the FA Cup, we'll, we'll try and win it. And and that's the way I viewed that. Yeah. So. I think it's it's about expectations, about managing expectations, but don't try and downplay expectation because I think you get found out. Okay. Um, and fans don't want to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Just one second. Ryan needs to record this bit. So this is this is me coming clean now after speaking to you for this 40 minutes, yeah? So it's really interesting that you say what you're saying. Obviously, you love it. You love it as a player, love it as a coach and so on. But for me, in my perspective, I have no interest in any of it at all. And even though I think I could do a job, the thought of being paid less to do more, to feel more pressure, but have less control seems insane. It seems insane. <laughs> and that's the feeling of like being helpless from the sidelines. Like if I was on a bench and I was watching the team, like that feeling would get to me. But as a coach, you, Monday through Friday, you prepare a team and then to just send them out there hoping that they've listened to anything that you've put all the work you've put in on a Monday through Friday. I can't, I can't justify it. I cannot justify it. So what, yeah. what is wrong? Are you, no, I, like, I are you insane? The, the thing with it is it's because what, what grips you as a manager and the coach is exactly the same emotions that grips you as a player. It's just that they're in different quantities and they don't last as long. I mean, that, that emotion after a game when you've won as a player, yeah, it's fantastic. It lasts all weekend. It probably lasts till the next game. Yeah. Whereas me as a coach, when the final whistle blows and and you've just been uh, a top team yeah. when you, you weren't expected to, that emotion is fantastic. Still the same emotion, the same yeah. level that you get as a player, but it lasts 10, 15 minutes if you're lucky. <laughs> so, so that's the difference. But that's what makes you keep coming back because those emotions are what 
that they sustain you and keep you going and want you still to be part of what you've been part of since you were a kid. So yeah. I don't know if that's any kind of answer, but it's it's where I come from. From it, it's it's always that emotion, the same emotions, but in different quantities. But there, you're only talking about the positives, though, because the negatives. You know, when yeah. things when things are going well, oh, it's a great manager. When things are going badly, everything's on you. Like, how do you even cope with that? Yeah. I think you, you learn to do it, madam. I think it's experience. You got to you got to have a thick skin. Goodness me, you, you can't go there and be a fragile snowflake because you last two minutes. You, you got to. <laughs> sometimes you got to take it on the chin. You have got to say, well, actually, I was really poor there. I'm, I didn't do the job the way it should have been done, and, and you have to hold your hands up. And, and I've always been prepared to do that. But mm. the reality is, is that it's such a a roller coaster of emotions that you just get sucked along with it, and uh, and you just. You, um, I've been doing this for, goodness me. Um, well, you do the maths I mean, since I was uh, twelve, thirteen. Where when a I was long time. It was a long time ago. Yeah, a long time. It was a long time well, ago. Well, actually, yeah, I was speaking to a friend of mine, and he asked me the question. Well. Do, you're having a little spare time here. How much spare time have you had over the years? And I said, and I worked it out. I had something like um, time off in July and August, back to back. Yeah, uh, I've never had that three times in forty years. Okay, so, so okay. that's how football has been part of me because you know July you're back yeah. training and, and uh, the merry-go-round starts again. But it's because. We love it. Managers, coaches, we, we just love being part of it stuff. Okay. You still sound insane, but that's fine because it's just the industry for the insane. <laughs> I've not convinced you, no? <laughs> no, not even close. No, right. <laughs> so, what, so I've got another job. I won't give you a call. You don't want to Listen, <laughs> no, we can talk about anything else but getting involved okay. in the game. But, All right. So what would you say then you've enjoyed more so far? The sort of 20-year career as a player or 20 years as a coach? Um. That's an easy answer. Nothing beats playing. Okay. You don't find that now. Playing is is the best thing. Um, if I could play now, uh, I'd actually be a better player because I know more about the game and yeah. I know exactly what I should be doing. Unfortunately, I can't run anymore, <laughs> uh, which is uh, which happens to, to us all. But um, but no, playing playing is a fantastic thing, and I think that's why I played for so long because uh, I still wanted to to get out there. But um, uh, but coaching management is as i said because of the emotion that it engenders it's it's the next best thing mm -hmm. so uh, why wouldn't you do it so how much how much longer would you be looking to do it for like what your aim for the rest of your managerial career um well i, I know for a fact that i needed a break after i had four years at, at stoke and, and we had some great times there um Top 10 finishes for the most part in every season I was there. I had a struggle towards the end. And, and I'd been there for four years or so. And um, I got to the point where I felt I needed a break. Yeah. Got the opportunity to Southampton, which was a good opportunity. So I jumped in after about five or six weeks. And um, the police I did, it was a good club, good people. Didn't, didn't last as long as I hoped it would do. But I knew after... That position came to an end. I, I needed a break, so it was always my intention to just to take a little bit of time out, um, and then come back ready to go again. I've been ready for quite some time, if I'm honest. Okay. But obviously, as you said, COVID's got in the way of it. But uh, I do feel I've still got the energy and, and the enthusiasm, which is something you've got to keep. 
Um, if you haven't got that enthusiasm, then you can't do the job. Mm -hmm. So I've still got at least one more job in me, I feel. I don't know where it is or where it's going to be or when it's going to be, but uh, I've still got the enthusiasm to do it. Yeah. I think I think I'll know pretty pretty soon when when I'm done. Yeah, uh, I just don't feel like I'm done yet. Yeah, of course. I don't. I don't think you're even close to being done. Do you not? Do you not have the ambition to maybe try something abroad? Seeing as though you did play for Bayern Munich and Barcelona, you know, just two small teams in Europe. <laughs> yeah, it was something I was always looking at. It was like given different circumstances in the world. I've, I've no doubt I would have pursued uh, some opportunities that I have had. Um, things put to me that maybe under different circumstances I would have. Uh, thought more more about actually accepting but uh, as it is um it's difficult times in in terms of uh, playing your trade abroad these days but uh, it's not something i close on i'm at a different stage in my life now obviously i've got grandchildren and and they will always post back but uh, our, ch our, our children are grown up so uh, uh, myself and my wife can go anywhere in the world to work um, mm -hmm. we just gotta get the right opportunity if, if it presents itself yeah well i hope the opportunity comes and one final thing before we go i just wanted to say you didn't always play me but i learned the most about what it is to be professional from you so from that i'm eternally <laughs> that, grateful man. thank you to yourself and thank you to your coaching staff and also thank you for being on the show and reminding it's me okay. why i will not <laughs> want to be a manager anytime soon <laughs> you'll change your mind maybe one i day guarantee I, you i won't it's on record that i will not i will ring you up <laughs> <laughs> you. all right well thank you very Look much anyway you, you too okay Take care. my pleasure yeah. good Bye. seeing you man you too. Take care. Bye. so there you have it i really enjoyed hearing what it's like to be on the other side but i'll tell you on record right now it's still a hell no from me and to close, I need to say my thanks, but also for anybody asking if the podcast will live on now I'm retired, just know there's going to be a show every Friday till at least 2021. And those are Ryan's words. So if we skip a week, be sure to let, let him know. But anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks to the podfather, Mr. Hale. Thank you to Mountain Air Studios, Draper, Utah. And be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll be back real soon. Bye for now.